0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ranking Thrones. I am James Kelly. I'm Evan. You still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, you kind of broke up. So every week, Evan and I gather to talk about the men and women who sat on the Iron Throne. Uh, I am a book fan. Evan is more of a TV show fan, so he comes in fresh and I tell him all about the life stories of of George R. R. Martin's Kings who sat on the Iron Throne,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then we treat them like re- real people, and rank how they did. Right. We're. If you're a new listener, you you're in in the middle of a big, multi-part series uh, on the Dance of the Dragons, and this is actually an interesting w- point to jump in on because we are for this episode we are starting what could be a and this is going to be one of the rare things we do unless we do episodes about some of the claimants mm-hmm. we're, we're getting an entirely different perspective on a reign and on the events that transpire
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of like the TV show, the affair where you see things from one person's perspective and you see things from another person's perspective.
1: Right. And you see how, how each party sort of sees the events.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat>
0: so, uh, before we begin, though, um, normally I ask Evan uh, if he can tell me anything about Aegon, but he can tell me quite a bit about Aegon the Second. So instead, um, we're going. Um, oh, first uh, last episode, we we kind of did a little, almost a fun bonus episode, honestly, of uh, of this one little king who did sit on the Iron Throne, Tristane, for a month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: we both felt sorry for him but he was no dragon no no but this week we are doing the official king who is on all the official lists of of kings who sat on the iron throne it's aegon the second right so evan like uh normally i ask if he, um i got a little sidetracked tangents mm-hmm. it happens is uh is if it can tell me anything about Aegon the Second, but instead I'm going to ask for fun. What do you think, Evan? Like just for predictions, for yeah. what do you think is going to happen to Aegon?
1: <laughs> Not going to last too
0: long. Well, you're on the money. So okay. Um, about the sources, we still have good old Fire and Blood, and Fire and Blood is interesting though because with Fire and Blood we. We we encounter again, which we had with Rhaenyra, a very much a biases of sources.
1: Yes.
0: In that, Mushroom despises the the source within Fire and Blood. We have three main sources, and Mushroom, who was a who was a, Rhaenyra's court jester, hates mm. Aegon the Second. Whereas uh, Septon Eustace, who wrote his account of the Dance of the Dragons, mm. really, really. Try, paints the most rosy picture of of aegon the mm-hmm. second and munkin is kind of in between the two mm. but he's writing ra- much further along in the events that transpired and so we'll get into that but in the short run basically mushrooms aegon the aegon the elder is is a wicked monster and Eustace's Mush, Aegon Second is a bit more reluctant. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also in that account, I, I didn't really realize it, but now, thinking back on it, mm-hmm. in that version, pretty much everything negative about Aegon Second is more attributed directly to to, uh, Sir Kristen Cole, the Kingmaker.
1: That's not too uncommon in history.
0: Yeah, so you just find a good scapegoat.
1: Yeah. Happens
0: uh, also. Like uh, the second crusade they they were the muslims who were recording were a little bit more forgiving of the the king who went to war with them Mm -hmm. but they were very critical of this horrible monster reynold of chatillon
1: yeah
0: who was just this utter fanatic
1: ironically the the kingdom of heaven uh he's actually toned down he was worse yes
0: yes Uh, that's something that surprised me but Mm -hmm. it's like then i'm like um, you know what? I'm not surprised. At the same time, it, like, yeah.
1: Just something, something, again, I'd like to something I'd like to point out is, is that we don't have it today, but how important religion really was a thousand years ago cannot be overstated.
0: Oh no! Well, that's a fun. If we ever do a podcast about Kingdom of Heaven, we could probably get into that more deeply. But I mean, we we kind of covered that with the Magor episode, right? Just like. Uh, in that the serious religious rebellions, uh, check out that episode for uh, their serious, i uh, just Megor constantly f- having to fo- deal with that. So now, here's the great companion episodes to the Rhaenyra episodes, and a little bit the Trystane episode. Mm-hmm. Here's our first part on the life of Aegon the Second. He was known as by his enemies as Aegon the Usurper. But he was also more charitably called Aegon the Elder. Right. If you want some more of his like early, early life, check out our kind of pre-war episode on King Viserys I. Mm-hmm. So, after King Viserys parted from this mortal coil, a servant went to inform Queen Alicent. Queen Alicent immediately summoned a small council to gather and imprisoned the servant who had seen that Viserys was dead. Viserys lay in his bed rotting for days as Alicent plotted with his body stinking so much that it it was said all the Red Keep could smell the king, leading people to posthumously dub him King Stink. (laughs) So that's the origin of that nickname, if you were wondering all the way back from those episodes before. Poor King Viserys, that really stinks.
1: Yeah, literally.
0: Literally and also metaphorically. During the small council meeting, the Grand Maester Oriel at the time, supposedly was in favor of Rhaenyra's claim, but all of his actions afterwards suggest this was not the case, as as uh, Maester Gildane notes. Just talking about the unreliability of sources. All right. After the Grand Maester said that Rhaenyra needed to be contacted and prepare her coronation, Alicent instead said, insisted that Aegon was the heir to the Iron Throne. A great debate lasted well into the early morning about this. There were four main reasons for why they insisted that R- that Renier should be passed and that the crown should go to Aegon II mm. Aegon at this point Aegon the Elder I should say. They stated that, firstly, although Viserys had named Rhaenyra his heir, he was wrong to do so, as it contradicted the precedents set forward in 99 AC and 101 AC that determined that a man would always take precedence over a woman's claim. Right. That part's actually... well, we'll get into it when we get into the ranking part, but that one's like a reasonable-ish... Mm-hmm. Secondly, they said that all Rhaenyra's Valerian sons were really the bastard sons of Harwin Strong. Uh, Of course. Probably. Having a bastard sit on the Iron Throne as Jake was Rhaenyra's heir was unacceptable. A bastard is by his nature duplicitous and evil from the nature of his creation. Right. And it would be absurd, Evan, for a bastard to sit on the Iron Throne. That'll never happen. Never. (laughs) Thirdly, they dreaded that, although, that though Rhaenyra would sit on the Iron Throne, it would truly be Daemon who ruled Westeros, and that was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And, to be fair, they, they did say that Rhaenyra had named uh, Daemon, I believe, her Lord Protector.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So she was willing to share some of her powers with Daemon. Mm-hmm. And Daemon was a dubious bloke, to yeah, say the actually- least. Lastly, if Rhaenyra took the throne, Aegon's children and Alicent's other two sons' lives were in jeopardy, as they were other claimants to the throne. Right. That's something that's like, uh, when you get down to that, that's always a problem. That always is a problem. And that, that is a real, actual concern. And that's yeah, one of the reasons why Robert was really obsessed with getting the Viserys and Daenerys. It's uh, because, what? like, they, they can be propped up as other options. Right. Like, when you get a medieval society, it's not like elected officials. Like, if there's someone else who can claim legitimacy...
1: They will... They will... That happens that happen all the time. If, and especially when... I mean, here's the real truth of, of, of a lot of royal societies. It's not the king who makes a lot of decisions. It's the barons and the lords sort of squabbling amongst themselves to decide what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So and that happened all the time. They would usually say, Well, he's not making us rich. Let's get his brother. Let's get his brother, get his son to do
0: it. Yeah. So though most of the people on the small council agreed that it was best for Aegon the Elder to take the Iron Throne, they were still were nervous as they knew that defying Viserys' will would mean civil war. Mm -hmm. So that was one of their yeah. One man in the small council, Lord Beesbury, who was master of coin, adamantly refused to take part in the treason and said that Rhaenyra was the true queen. He was either sent to the dungeons where he starved, or had his throat slit by Sir Kristen Cole, or shoved out a window and died on a spike. Ouch. He was the first to die in the Dance of the Dragons. Lara <laughs> Strong, known as the Clubfoot, Grandmaster Orwile, and Lord Hightower took a blood oath of loyalty to Aegon the Elder's cause. Alicent was there and bore witness to this, but took no part on account of her sex. Hmm. Aegon was not in his bed with Helena when the, they were, were to tell him that he was king. He was undoubtedly with another woman, which even the, the more positive accounts of, of Aegon admit as much. Uh. In Mushroom's version, he was forcing people to fight one another after coming out of a brothel. Mm. But the version that Gildane likes is that, according to Eustace, when he was found with his lover, he rejected the crown. He said that it was Rhaenyra's, and that he would betray his sister by claiming the throne. He had to be convinced that if he did not take the throne, he would be sentencing his children Jaehaerys, Jaehaera, and Melor to death. On this reason, Aegon agreed. Interesting. And honestly, I kind of believe it.
1: I, I, I could believe it, yes. Uh,
0: like, he doesn't <clears throat> strike me... At, at, like, this kind of like is a bit character-defining, true. But it kind of sets the tone for a little bit for what he later does. hmm But uh, I, I believe, like... And this is something that's really interesting. He kind of almost is a, a precursor to Theon Greyjoy. Right of just like or or maybe even Tommen Mm -hmm. of like just like the mother is way more ambitious than he is than than the actual son yeah or a parent is like basically forcing them to to do something that they don't really want to do Mm -hmm. so Aegon at last had ravens sent out proclaiming that his father was dead and he was king the small folk were purportedly confused and stunned by this One was bold enough to say, long live our queen. Hmm. So, not at all like, even the small folk know, Uh uh-oh. Problem. Yeah, problem. Aegon had his coronation ceremony in the dragon pit. He was crowned with the same crown worn by his namesake, Aegon the Conqueror. Nice. According to one source, the dragon pit was full, but others say it was half full. After the coronation, Aegon II took to the sky on his illustrious golden dragon, Sunfire, and circled King's Landing. Cool. And it was also during this time that he officially changed the Targaryen banners to be a a golden dragon on a green field, as if to signal that he is the new Aegon. Interesting. Many people feared that what was about to transpire and tried to flee King's Landing until Alicent had the gates of King's Landing shut. Not good. Alsin sent off her son, Prince Amund One-Eye, to Storm's End to broker an alliance with Lord Boris's Baratheon. Prince Amon was told to marry one of Lord Baratheon's daughters. It is not said which he chose, but the one noted as clever was notably spurned. Lord Boris chafed that Renira presumed he owed her his allegiance simply because they were of distant blood relations. Hmm. When Luke Valerian arrived to Storm's End. Prince Aemond taunted him as Luke Strong. Prince Luke gave his message to Lord Boris, who guffawed at it, and asked Prince Luke which of Lord Boris's daughters he would marry to earn his allegiance. Luke Valerian grew pink and said that he was already betrothed to his cousin. Lord Boris told him to go home and tell his whore of a mother that his loyalty was not so easy to gain. Prince Aemon then drew his sword and demanded an eye from Luke Strong. Prince Luke said he was obliged not to fight by an oath made to his mother and refused. Prince Amon called Prince Luke a coward and demanded his eye in payment for the eye he had lost because of him and his brothers. And check out the, the King Viserys episode for that. Yeah. But yeah, Prince Luke was one of the, and his two brothers were responsible for Prince Amon losing his, his, his left eye. But Lord Boris ordered that no harm would come to an envoy under his roof. Just as Prince Luke flew off on his dragon Arax, the girl that Prince Amon had spurned mocked him by saying that she was glad he had not chosen her. She needed a man, and Amon had been bested by a boy. <laughs> Incensed, Prince Amon angrily said, "If he was free." Lord Boris shrugged and said, "You are free to do what you will out of my castle." Prince Aemond on his ancient dragon, Vagar, ridden by Visenya in the Conquest, attacked Prince Luke on his dragon, Arax. Vagar was five times the size of Arax, and easily decimated the young Prince Luke. Prince Aemond One-Eye would from then on be called Prince Aemond Kinslayer. He laughed it off. Alicent was appalled by her son's actions, while his grandfather, Sir Otto Hightower, called it stupid. After the death of Prince Luke, the Blacks struck back by having assassins known as Blood and Cheese kill Prince v- Jaheras before Queen Helena. Queen Alicent and Jaehaerys and Melor mm-hmm. were also there and bore witness to this. After the horrors, Queen Helena shirked away from her son Melor in grief and shame that, for having chosen him to die. Queen Alicent became the primary caregiver for her ch- grandchildren. Aegon II responded by having blood's head, and when Cheese, the rat catcher, was was never discovered, he ordered all rat catchers executed. Jesus. Sir Otto would supplement the city with 100 cats being sent for. Aegon the Usurper took to drinking in excess in grief. After this action, Rhaenyra's blacks won some early battles. Enraged by this, he accused his grandfather, Lord Hightower, of dithering away by Trying to gain allies. He named Sir Kristen Cole, the Kingmaker, as his new hand of the King and commanded him to bring him victories. Impatient.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lord Hightower departed to take up his spot in Old Town. He was accompanied by Prince Darren, who would help turn the tides on his dragon and allow the Greens a victory when they were, had been outnumbered. Prince Darren would be dubbed Darren the Daring, though his character was hardly that, as he was mostly an unambitious and unassuming prince. No. He was the only one of his brothers to be saddened by the death of his father, King Viserys. No. Sir Criston Cole lured Rhaenyra into a trap when his forces quickly pressed on Maidenpool. Princess Rhaenys, called the Queen That Never Was, attacked on her dragon but there she was surprised to find King Aegon II and Prince Aemon Kinslayer. Rhaenys, as you know, fought valiantly on, and in the end, only Prince Aemond Kinslayer emerged with Vagar undamaged. Princess Raines was dead, and with her, her dragon. And Aegon II was hideously burned, and his dragon Sunfire forever damaged. Later, some would-be dragonslayers attempted to attack the meek and, un- and guarded Sunfire, Sunfire was wounded, but escaped and went off. Sunfire was so damaged, he could no longer fly like an eagle, instead resembling a chicken fluttering according to Mushroom. Jesus. It was pretty bad. Aegon II was escorted back to King's Landing, where he would be given milk of the poppy to ease his pain. For the sake of the realm, the duty of governing was given to Prince Aemond, who took Aegon's crown and was declared protector of the realm. Aemond and Sir Criston, yeah, yeah. He's a really interesting character. He would make one hell of a show for TV. But, like, yeah, he is a dubious fellow. Mm-hmm. He honestly makes Damon look nice by comparison.
1: Yeah.
0: Aemond and Sir Criston planned an invasion of Harrenhal. They gathered a massive force to ensure the retaking of Harrenhal. Little did they know what a foolish action this was. Mm-hmm. Rhaenyra and her blacks would arrive and take King's Landing while Aemond and Kristen left the city all but undefended. No. Lord Larys Clubfoot arranged for Prince Maelor, Princess Jehara, and King Aegon II to be divided and sent to three locations. Maelor was to go to Old Town, Jehera to Storm's End, and for the King, the Clubfoot was particularly clever. The clubfoot had Aegon sent to Dragonstone on a ship, as Dragonstone would be the place that Rhaenyra and her blacks would least look for to find Aegon. Clever. Yeah. When Prince Aemon discovered what had happened, he accused the Strong family of treason and executed every one of their family, including women and children. The only one he spared was a bastard daughter named Alice Rivers, who is accused of being a witch. She soon became Amon's mistress, and according to her later testimony, his wife. Huh. Uh, unfortunately, because like, Fire and Blood basically ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Her huh. fate is is very juicily left unresolved, so I I can't really get into it. Huh. But suffice it to say, like, she ends up later showing up, say, with a bastard. And saying, this is the, tr- I am, I was Aemon's wife, and this is the prince, the lawful heir. Hmm. So, fun. Yeah. But we don't know, as of yet, what happened to her.
1: I was a little suspicious.
0: Yep. Aegon traveled to, dra- she's kind of a proto, uh, or just like a precursor to Melisandre. Mm-hmm. Aegon traveled to Dragonstone disguised as a fisherman's cousin. There he stayed on Dragonstone unnoticed until Sunfire returned. Mm. Sunfire crossed the realm and would fight a dragon unridden by any man. The dragon was assumed to have been killed by the infamous dragon known as the Cannibal, who mostly ate um, young dragons. Mm. Sunfire returning to Dragonstone is a mystery. Some think he was he wanted to simply return to the place of his birth. Others think that he sensed that Aegon needed him. Either way, the dragon arrived and Aegon decided to take the castle of Dragonstorm for himself. Rhaenyra had thought Dragonstone impenetrable and left mostly green boys and old men on the island. She also snubbed Sir Alfred Broom, who was the Castellan of Dragonstone, and declared her fat friend Sir Quince as the Castellan. Many ter- Turned on Renera's loyalists, and Aegon was able to reclaim Dragonstone. Mm. But before he could emerge in a glorious manner, he was attacked by his niece, Bela Targaryen, daughter of Prince Daemon and Lena Valerian, on her young dragon. Bela's dragon was young and small, but it fought valiantly, deeply wounding Sunfire even more. In the end, Sunfire crashed to the ground with Aegon leaping from his dragon in time, only to break his legs. Bela survived the fight and was taken in chains, but her dragon was dead. Aegon would never again be able to walk on his own after the fight. He would be waiting in Dragonstone to find his sister fleeing King's Landing. Mushroom described Rhaenyra as seeing a dead man and a dying dragon. Aegon taunted Rhaenyra and had her killed before her own son. so Broom suggested killing Prince Aegon the Younger, but King Aegon II insisted he was a valuable hostage. Huh? Just prior to this, Prince Aemon Kinslayer was killed along with his great dragon, Vhagar, the last living thing from Aegon's Conquest. The two were slain by the rogue prince Daemon Targaryen on his dragon, who died in the fight. To shift over a little over to the south, in Tumbleton, the battle was a resounding victory for the Greens when Rhaenyra's dragon riders Hugh Hammer and Ulf the White defected over to the Greens. This led to the bloodiest and most infamous sacking in the Dance of the Dragons. After the battle, the Greens' forces were unmoored as Lord Hightower would die in the battle, and there was no clear leader to follow in his place. Prince Darren the Daring was no leader, and the two betrayers each had lofty ambitious. Ulf the White, also called Ulf the Sot, wanted to be given Highgarden. Hugh Hammer was even grander, as at this time, Aegon's fate was not known to the rest of the realm. And it was believed by many that he was dead. So Hugh Hammer declared himself king. I don't know. When he was asked what supported his claim, he replied, the right of Aegon the Conqueror. Conquest. He had with him his dragon Vermithor, Formerly written by the great King Jaehaerys, the Conciliator, now the oldest and greatest dragon in Westeros. Not only that, but Hugh Hammer had known a prophecy that was known by many that stated, when the hammer falls on the dragon, there will be no other clear king. Uh Uh-oh. How would he know that it meant another hammer and another dragon? Yeah. I love those kinds of prophecies. Oh, yes. Sorry, that means Robert. (laughs) Ulf the White, or Ulf the Sot, was poisoned when drinking some poisoned wine, though he forced the poisoner to indulge in the same poisoned wine with him. Not fitting. During the confusion and miasma with the Greens plotting to kill the two betrayers, they were suddenly besieged by an attack led by Adam Valerian, Rhaenyra's dragon rider who had been suspected by his queen of treachery. Adam Valerian wished to prove to the realm that not all bastards were treacherous. His Riverlands, he gathered allies from the Riverlands, and, and even though his forces were smaller numbers, they were able to overwhelm and decimate the Greens' forces who had grown disorderly and drunk. Ah. Prince Daron would die in, in the battle, though his body was never found, leading to, to trouble in the future. Hugh Hammer was killed by the Greens in the midst of the chaos. Adam Valerian would die battling riderless dragons. His body would be found and given burial, but later was taken by his brother, Lord Alan Valerian, who took Adam's remains to Driftmark. There he would leave the tombstone with one word, loyal, and a seahorse and a mouse on it to signify his parentage. Nice. He's a really incredible character, and that's like, that is such a moment. HBO, please make this into a series. Please, please, please. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Turning back to King Aegon, the the dragon Sunfire died two months after Rhaenyra. Infuriated, Aegon was about to execute Bela Targaryen, but was convinced to spare her as she was Lord Corlys's granddaughter, and the Valyrians had many ships. This was the right course as Lord Allen was preparing to attack Dragonstone when Lord Corlys was granted a pardon and ordered his bastard son to escort King Aegon back to King's Landing. Lord Allen, however, made Aegon the Usurper return to King's Landing on his mother's ship, the Mouse, to humiliate Aegon as being nothing but a mouse. <laughs>
1: Aegon
0: returned with King's Landing, having Been recently restored to order thanks to Lord Boris Baratheon.
1: Give him some credit.
0: Yep. Aegon ordered the execution of the false king Tristane Truefire, but granted him a knighthood before executing him, as we covered in the the last episode. Right. To the five-year-old king Gaiman Palehair, he pardoned and made a ward of the crown. But to his mother and to her female lover, they were hanged. As for the shepherd... What? Sounds about right. Yeah. As for the shepherd, his tongue was cut out after he swore that he would meet King Aegon in hell this year. Aegon ordered all of the shepherd's lambs to be lined up through King's Landing and burned in the night, lighting the way to the dragon pit where the shepherd lay, surrounded by five dragon heads. He was burned alive personally by King Aegon. Wow. Lord Corlys Valerian petitioned the king to issue a general pardon on all of queen rhaenyra's allies and for aegon to marry his nephew aegon the younger to his daughter jehera queen allison said this was absurd as the lords needed to be severely punished for rebelling against the true king Mm. as for aegon the younger king aegon would allow the boy to take the black or be gelded no matter what Aegon, the Usurper, was determined that Rhaenyra's line would die with her. Jeez. Lord Corlys walked away infuriated, and when when gone, Aegon, the Usurper, wished to kill the Sea, ne, sea Snake. Mm. Instead, Lord Larys Clubfoot gently reminded the king that they needed Lord Corlys so long as his bastard son, Lord Allen, commanded ships that could easily switch allegiance he also informed the king on their plan to kill lord corliss which they had arranged shortly before freeing him like privately among the amongst the greens mm-hmm. they planned to kill lord corliss the minute he was no longer uh, an ally mm. or more or basically useful to them so sneaky bastards
1: that sounds like war
0: yeah he also informed the king, like Lord, Lord Laris Clubfoot also informed the king on the... Oh, I already said that. <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord Laris then said to give Lord Corliss everything he wanted, as it was easy to promise a prince was heir, and then rescind that in time. Right. Reasonable. Yes. Cold. Aegon II agreed and named Aegon the Younger his heir and betrothed him to his daughter Jehara. Lord Larris then went to Lord Corlys to inform the Sea Snake that they had planned on killing him. Lord Larris seems to be an elusive figure, akin to Varus or Littlefinger. He had his own goals, and whatever he wanted was anyone's guess. Mm. The Clubfoot convinced the Sea Snake to wait to strike, as Aegon II was clearly doomed. And with that, we're going to end part one of Aegon Second. Mm. So, interesting place to leave off on he's uh made a lot of mistakes yeah but he's uh predetermined and what's gonna happen
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we'll have to find out next week so tune in next week to find out Mm -hmm. thanks for joining us
1: thank you for joining us